Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Can you blame Americans for being confused and frustrated and having no idea who they should be listening to right now? Well, our guidance is consistently, has consistently been this. Uh, when you are in a high transmission area, which is everywhere in the country, you should wear a mask in indoor settings, including schools. With COVID-19 cases waning and the Omicron surge subsiding, a lot of Americans are just over it. Attitudes have been shifting as many people are seeking a return to a somewhat normal life. A life without masks, without social distancing, and other public health measures that were put in place before vaccines and therapeutics were available. The changes in perspective come as several Democratic governors have been lifting mask mandates for public spaces and in some schools. The protocols for masks to be worn in schools and, and uh, child care centers as of the 28th no longer be ordered the uh, state of Connecticut. It will be up to you. And some Democrats in the House are even calling for an end to mask mandates themselves. But not everybody is on board. Even as case numbers are plummeting, they're still at record levels for the entire pandemic, a seven-day average of over 300,000 on Sunday. The CDC has made it clear that they still recommend masking in areas of high and substantial transmission, which is the vast majority of the country right now. We've been reporting hospitalizations. We look at deaths, and of course, those decisions are made at the local level. But at this time, we continue to recommend masking in areas of high and substantial transmission. And as for the Biden administration, they've continued to defer to the CDC. CDC run the risk of becoming irrelevant in the minds of many Americans, given that their states are moving along ahead without them? Well, I don't think the, the uh, federal uh, experts on health and medical advice should be irrelevant to Americans at a time where we're still facing a pandemic. That tension between some Democratic leaders and the White House puts President Biden in a tough position. How long will he hold out on mask mandates when faced with pressure from the public and from other leaders in his party? Why are state lawmakers out of sync with the CDC? And what does any of this actually mean for the realities of the virus's path in 2022? This is Can He Do That, a podcast about the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. Americans feel resigned. They believe that the virus is going to be a feature of their lives for a significant time to come, if not forever. Lenny Bernstein is a health and medicine reporter for The Washington Post. One poll, for example, said 77% of Americans believe everybody's going to get the coronavirus sooner or later. So if you believe that, and you believe that with vaccines or natural immunity or therapies, you're going to survive that, or that it may be even asymptomatic or not much of a problem at all, you feel like you can move out into the world and, and, and live your life. There was another poll that said that the plurality felt that the advances that we have over the past two years allow them to 
more or less get back on routine. Americans feel like they need to move on regardless of what's going on with the virus, that it's time to sort of adapt to the virus, to live with the virus, to manage the virus, but to no longer let it dictate how they're going to live. So I feel like to some degree we've been here before, right? We've pivoted our responses as variants have waned and then had to pivot back to some more pandemic measures. Is this moment different from what we've seen in the past? Is this last spring before Delta emerged or is this a new moment? Yeah, it is and it isn't. As you mentioned, the the virus comes in waves. This is our fifth surge. Infection rates are dropping rapidly, but they're still at quite high levels. They were just under about 250,000 Wednesday. Hospitalization rates had just crossed under 100,000. And then deaths are very high. They still are in the neighborhood of about 2,600, 2,500 a day. They appear to finally be plateauing. In all the surges, it works the same way. Infection rates will slow first, hospitalization will slow second, and then deaths will slow third. And at the end of all four surges, some optimism, some hope, hey, are are we out of it now? Is this the end of it? And then every time we've been wrong, those have been false hopes, and then we're back to mask mandates and, and, and stricter measures. This one, a lot of things are coming together, and I think people are more hopeful than they were in the past four surges. Number one, 64% of us are fully vaccinated, and then some part of that group is boosted. Number two, Omicron proved to be milder in terms of disease, uh, unless you were, of course, unvaccinated or quite old or medically compromised. Number three, we have therapies. We have monoclonal antibodies. We have antivirals. And so, again, unless you're unvaccinated, a lot of people are either not ending up in the hospital or they're treatable. And then number four, everybody's exhausted. It's been two years. And you can see all that coming together as this fifth surge is ending. And nowhere is it better illustrated than among what our politicians are doing. I mean, they are racing to beat each other to drop mask mandates, including even in the blue states. I mean, nobody wants to be tied to restrictions any longer than they have to be. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Several Democratic governors are revoking mask mandates in schools and in public spaces. The DCCC and some Democrats in the House are suggesting it's just time to move on from masking. How much is the public's attitude on the pandemic, like you've just talked about in recent polling, affecting policy changes? Essentially, how much of this is about politics and upcoming elections and fatigue, as you describe, versus a real end to this virus or a real path to it becoming endemic? You know, the public health people will tell you right away, we don't know that this pandemic is over. First of all, you've got to remember that we're still in the 240, 50,000 new cases a day. That's very, very high. That's as high as we've ever been. It's just that it's dropping so fast that everybody can see by tomorrow or the next day or the next week, we're going to be a, a lot lower. And they're all urging caution. No, don't drop those mask mandates yet. We're not out of this. And it's going to be really hard to go back if we drop them. People don't like to go back to where they were. But to answer your question more directly, I think that those politicians, blue and red, but particularly blue, are reflecting the feelings of their constituents. I don't think that they're necessarily leading on this, that they've surveyed the data and said, "Okay, I think it's all right. Sure, they've done that to some extent. But what they're hearing is enough already. We want these masks off. 
We want to resume our lives. We are hopeful. Everybody knows from President Biden on down that all it takes is a variant to bubble up somewhere on the other side of the globe, and we'll be right back in the soup. But at the moment, right now, there's a lot of optimism, and, and we're going the other way. To the point of President Biden, just this week, we've seen him and the CDC continue to exercise caution. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said the agency's masking in schools guidance has not changed. A lot of these local governments are waiting on the CDC's guidelines to change, but it seems like now they're taking things into their own hands. How much will federal policy affect sort of local government policy? They can advise. They can direct. You know, they can they can keep you off of cruise ships. But by and large, uh, the, the decisions are being made on the ground by the governors. And the governors have clearly heard the message from their constituents that it's time. We, we, we want to move on. I think that it's important to note that there are people who are on the other extreme of this debate who are really worried and scared. There are people across the spectrum. Laura Meckler is a national education reporter for The Post. She's been covering a critical piece of these statewide mask mandates, how they're being handled in schools. There are some parents who have kids who have some sort of immunocompromised condition or who, for whatever reason, are just more risk averse. And they get very upset when you talk about lifting these rules. So this, this stuff isn't easy. When students first began returning to classrooms, masks were required in virtually all schools across the country. But policies quickly divided along partisan lines, with many Democratic governors in favor of requiring masks and many Republican governors against it. Now, nearly two years later, those lines are starting to shift. We did see quite a bit of movement, and this is in Democratic states that had been requiring all the school districts in their states to require their students and staff to wear masks. So essentially, it was a statewide school mask requirement. And what we saw in a series of states, first New Jersey, then Connecticut, Delaware, and Oregon, all of those states said that in the coming weeks, they're going to be lifting those statewide mandates that will leave it up to the districts to decide whether they want to require masks or or not. But we are also seeing separately, according to some data that a data firm called Burbio tracks, that the percentage of districts that are requiring masks is also dropping. We had big debates last year over whether schools should be open or not, but everybody was wearing masks. Now, this year, the debate has been much more over whether masks should be required. And we had a big partisan divide on that. And we still do to some extent, but we are seeing a little bit of movement away from mask requirement here for sure. Do we have a sense of what brought about the movement? Why now? Why are things changing? Well, I think it's a combination of a few factors. I think that one, the pandemic is waning. So people are feeling more comfortable from a public health point of view. I think the second reason is political. I mean, I think it's not um, a coincidence that the governor of New Jersey was the first to act on pulling back the statewide mandate. And he, you know, had a really difficult reelection. He was reelected, but it was a lot closer 
than a lot of people expected. You have Democrats really worried about being seen as just the party of restriction, 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 when in fact, and this is what I would say is the third reason, you have a general public that is just getting tired and getting just anxious to get their lives back. You know, we're now coming up on the second anniversary of when the schools shut down in early March 2020. We were all told it would be for two weeks. It obviously was much longer than that. And even once schools reopened, we've still had not anything that's really normal. Schools have had a really tough year. And so I think there's this, just a real craving for normalcy and that is spilling over into politics. So you do see some, some response there. To the point of this sort of fatigue or this desire to return to normalcy, part of this, at least for me, has been information fatigue, where I think it's difficult for us to parse out accurate information. And, and your team and, and teams at The Post are doing a wonderful job on covering that for us. So I'm going to ask you to sort of clarify for me, where does the science stand on the effectiveness of masks on school children? And I ask because my son, he's four, I get pictures from him every day at preschool and the mask compliance is, I would say, mixed. Uh, lots under the nose, lots of off the face. They take naps at school, so they're not wearing masks all day. So, so where does the science stand at this point on the effectiveness of these masks at school? So what the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will tell you is that masking is an important part of sort of a layered mitigation strategy that you want to do multiple things that no one measure will completely prevent the spread of any virus, including this one. So it's not the be all and end all, but that it and certainly vaccination are among the most important ways to prevent the spreading of disease. I think it's important to note that there has been remarkably little in-school transmission around the country since this pandemic began. Schools have not been the site of virus transmission. And masking may be part of that. But I don't think the science is super clear that this is the one thing that you need to do. A lot of teachers do report that that there's been pretty good compliance. I think with younger kids, it's harder. But even even some fairly young kids, like kindergarten, first grade, around there, I think have been shown that they can they can wear masks. I think maybe because they've been doing it for so long now. It's not perfect though, by any means. So that is one of the arguments that some of the sort of anti-mask requirement people will make that. There's no real evidence that this is necessary. But I do think there is a compelling argument that says that there is evidence in other settings that masks do prevent the spread of the virus so that it makes sense that it would also prevent it in schools as well. We'll be back with more right after the break. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. You mentioned this multi-layered approach to prevention, child vaccination rates, vaccines being another way of prevention. Those vary widely across states. They range from 13 percent to 63 percent that have received their first dose. Are vaccination rates in children being taken into account when it comes to these decisions to lift the mask mandates? 
in some states they are. So in Maryland and in Massachusetts, the governors have said that schools can get out of the statewide mask requirement if they have vaccination rates at, I think each state said it at 80% for the schools. So, you know, it's a pretty high bar given those numbers that you just said, but those are states that tend to have higher vaccination rates than the national average, I believe. There's no doubt that there is a huge variation on vaccination. Of course, the same places where vaccination rates are low are also the places that are least likely to require masks. In a bit of pandemic irony, the people who might need the protections the most are least likely to have them. So how do teachers and their unions feel about these decisions? Teachers have been raising concerns about their own safety and the safety of their students since this whole thing started. Are they feeling represented in these decisions? What are you hearing? The response to what happened this week was not hair on fire. This is a disaster, a terrible word, walking out protesting. It was not an extreme reaction. But what they did say is that they would like these decisions to be based on metrics and some sort of guidance from public health authorities rather than politics or gut feelings on the part of governors. And one interesting thing is that the American Federation of Teachers, which is the second largest teachers union, had requested in November that the CDC give some guidance for when mask requirements can be lifted, give what they called an off-ramp to this and spell out how it could be done. And the CDC has not done that. The CDC has not offered any guidance for when these mask requirements should be lifted or if they're lifted, when they should be potentially reinstated. Even the states that kind of were in line are now moving ahead of the federal government on this. That brings me to really the last question that I wanted to ask you about, which is states are making these choices to to move ahead of of the federal government, as you say, in part because the pandemic is waning, but in part because of politics. So the question is really, when will the federal government, when will the Biden administration anyway, feel the pressure that maybe some of these other governors were facing and potentially start to change some of the masking policies that they have implemented around the country? Yeah, I mean, I don't know is the is the truthful answer when they're going to do that. But I do think that we do see pressure building and it will probably continue to build as caseloads come down. You know, obviously, we know this is an election year. We know the Democrats are on the defensive. Ironically, you know, what was at one point, they were sort of triumphant saying, we're the people who care about science. You guys are the deniers. And now the dynamic seems to be shifting a bit. And I I do think that the White House is feeling that pressure. But when they will actually take some steps toward changing federal policy, for instance, The rules about um, wearing masks on transit or on airplanes, those are federal rules. So when they might revisit those, I I don't know. I heard an interview recently with Tony Fauci, and he basically said, yes, he thinks that we will get to the point where we can start living with the virus, but we're not there yet. So to the extent that the president is listening to him and public health voices like that, I have a feeling they're not yet quite comfortable, even if uh, his party would like them to be. So what is it that's stopping the CDC from changing its guidelines? I went back to health reporter Lenny Bernstein for an answer. I believe it's more that they feel the numbers don't justify it yet. We have too many cases. We still have 25, 2,600 deaths a day. Those are data-driven agencies. And when they look at it, they would rather us taper down more slowly, spend the next six weeks or eight weeks. They didn't put a time frame on it but taper it down more slowly and and move back into our lives in a more gradual, in a more planned way. You don't see the public doing that. I'm going to a basketball game on Saturday, 
And I don't think I would have ever considered that two weeks ago or three weeks ago to be indoors with a 10,000 screaming people at a college basketball game. And I'll wear my mask and I'm vaccinated and I'm boosted and I'm making a risk calculation that seeing an old friend and going to a basketball game is a higher priority to, to me than continuing another week of, of what I've been doing. To that point, you've spent a lot of time talking to doctors and, and nurses and people on the front lines of this. I remember you sharing what it was like in some of these COVID units that you went into in the spring of 2020, where you explained sort of what it was like to put on all of your PPE, and then particularly what it was like to take it off piece by piece and then jumping in the shower immediately. And, and it, it resonated with me because it was just such a tremendous moment in this pandemic and, and the level of caution that you exercised was extreme and, and admirable. So given how much you've seen firsthand, does the public understand what's going on inside hospitals? Do hospitals feel equipped and ready for the public to kind of move on from this? The public absolutely does not know what's going on inside hospitals. It's overwhelming what these doctors are going through. They are true, true heroes of, of the pandemic. Uh, when Omicron was at its peak, it was absolute exhaustion. They were working with a fraction of the staff that they really needed. The numbers were very high. We exceeded we broke a record during Omicron, and they were simply wondering, how are they ever going to get through this? As the numbers have declined, I think there's a sense of relief. There's a sense that they need to get their rest, try to find ways to get people off, to work through some of the trauma and emotion of that last wave. But, you know, hospitals don't stop because virus waves decline. What the hospitals will do now is they will be bringing back in people who need elective procedures who were deferring them when the hospitals were just full up with Omicron patients. And so those people have to be taken care of. And I am sure that they are worried about what might happen next. I do think that the doctors and nurses understand people's desire to move on. They would like to move on. They would like some certainty in their lives. What doctors and nurses cannot understand is why people, a third of us, are so adamant that the science is wrong and are not getting vaccinated, are not getting boosted, are not taking the precautions that would protect themselves and the medical personnel. I've seen the hospital system expand and expand and expand. Each time I'm amazed at where they, how they find ways to take care of people. But what doctors and nurses want is people to take the precautions that are that are science-based, that, that we know work, and then they are happy to take care of you if something happens. That's where the disconnect exists between the public and the, and the medical community. I am cringing at the idea that another variant will arrive and these same governors are gonna have to reinstall mask mandates. I think that's going to be difficult, but it could happen we could have a sixth surge very easily. We don't know where the next variant is coming from. We don't know how contagious it will be. We don't know how lethal it will be. Imagine a variant arrives that is as contagious as Omicron and as lethal as Delta. Imagine a variant arrives, God forbid, that our vaccines do not protect again. We will be right back where we were.
This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Thank you so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Sharla Freeland and Arjun Singh with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. 